0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Exodus 38. Exodus 38. And construction of the tabernacle, it's continuing, it's resuming. I love these passages where it is post golden calf and pre wilderness you know and I, it's it's so powerful because you know sometimes in the life of a believer inside of my life inside of your life you know there's these uh moments where you know you're on a cloud nine with the lord kind of uh metaphysically speaking but then there are moments where maybe you come down a couple notches because of the carnal nature. It's it's something we're going to have to wrestle with for the rest of our lives. I wish I wish I could say like you know it's never going to happen, but you know you're you there's times where you're going to be on cloud 9, but then there's times where you're going to be on cloud 8, cloud 7, maybe even cloud 1. You know, and it's so powerful because you know not to highlight the Our sin nature and our carnal nature and in no way, shape or form am I trying to make excuses for sin. But keep in mind that, you know, we're we're wrapped in these earth suits and therefore we have to deal with these carnal aspects. What's so powerful is that we have to learn from these things. It's not that we, you know, we're carnal in one area. We repent and then we're carnal in the same area. We repent and then we're carnal in the same area. That's not good. That's called taking advantage of God's grace. Not a good thing to do. Uh, Don't do it. In fact, you know, we're supposed to learn from our mistakes and grow. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, when I was a kid, I spilled the milk. You know, I'm not, I wasn't a big milk drinker, but, you know, I spilled the, the water, you know, a glass of water. Uh, a lot of times you see little kids, they, they spill, they have accidents, they drop something, but you know, you rarely see it in a 20 year old, you know, you rarely see it in a 40 year old, you know, then you start to see it again in an 80 year old, 75 year old, 90 year old, hundred year old, because it's like, you know, the, the Lord's way of showing us our human of humbling us as we get older, you know, and, and our, you know, we get, we, Need certain things more, you know. It's like we need more help. I need help to stand up, I need help to walk from point A to point B. I need this help, you know. And so, I don't want to make excuses for the carnal nature, but at the same time, it's what's so powerful about where we're at in these chapters. You know, chapter, you know, in 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39, even to the end of uh, the book of Exodus, which we're nearing, it's, it's getting pretty close. But then, at the same time, you see this these passages in these chapters. You see Israel, and it's just so beautiful because it's like, wow, you know, this is like the that the hearts of the people are right with God individually and corporately as a body. It kind of reminds me of the, these these chapters in Israel Israel post sin post golden calf it kind of reminds me of the church in philippi if you remember a couple weeks back might have been last week we kind of touched on the philippian church how they were like a model church you know and it's so cool because it's like you know it's it's almost like that because you know you look at israel at the golden calf terrible terrible sin and i don't want to gloss over it gloss over that by just saying yeah it was a terrible sin yes it was a terrible sin egregious in nature But then at the same time, it's like where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And then we're about to see passages, too, where it's, you know, when we get into uh, uh, the future chapters here after Exodus, you're going to see Israel when they enter the wilderness, where like a two-week journey turns into a 40-year journey. And it reminds me a lot about the ups and downs in the life of a Christian. Because sometimes we play games with the Lord. Have you ever talked to somebody who's a believer, a Christian, and praise the Lord, a brother or sister? And then it's like, wow, you know, they're on milk. And maybe you're on milk too. And then something happens where in the course of time, you know, you're, you're, you don't like the milk anymore. It's like you start to move on. You start to deny the elementary things. You move forward from the elementary things. You know, when you were young, you know, you ate as a baby, you did all these things as a baby. And then all, all of a sudden you start to grow, your legs get strong, your back gets strong. You're able to do adult things. And then say you circle back to this individual. You're like, hey, how you doing? They start talking to you, telling you about their woes, telling you about their problems, their issues. And it's like, whoa, this person's still on milk. They haven't grown. They haven't matriculated. It's not to say, like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad because it's like, wow, you know, all these opportunities to grow. And that's the 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 part, you know, when you don't learn from mistakes and you start to play the same old games. It's like, wow, you never advance to the next level. You know, you never advance to more mature things. You never go from first grade to second grade third grade to fourth grade, and so forth. You never do that. You know, and, and it's so sad, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, wow, what an encouragement it is to, you know, to to be in union with the Lord, in, in unison with the Lord, but then at the same time, corporately too, as a church body. As a church body, even though we are separated currently because of the coronavirus. You know, we're separated. We're still together as a body of Christ together with one accord, together with the Lord in one accord, but then separate. You know, I have a little, maybe this is a little side message, but turn with me to Romans 8 really quick. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 35, and I love Paul's exhortation to the church in Rome. He says in verse 35, Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a hardcore question. It was a hardcore question to the church in Rome at this particular time, and it's a hardcore question to the church today. Separated, you know, we're all in quarantine. The governors give their, you know, they're doing air quotes here, but their orders... You can't go anywhere. And let this virus die down. Hopefully, it'll die down soon. And it's like, wow, who can separate us from the love of Christ? It says, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These are hardcore questions. These two questions that Paul arrived at, that Paul. Uh, 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 um, Uh, poses to the church. The cost of being a Christian at this particular moment in time where Paul is exhorting the church in Rome, it's very expensive. Life-threatening. Life-threatening. You know, they would hold a knife up to your throat. You know, who is God? Is Caesar God or is Jesus God? You say Caesar is God, you get to live. They say, okay, you know, Cut it out with this Christian business. And if you say, no, Jesus Christ is Lord, they push forward with the sword. They stick it in your throat. You're dead. Young people, old people, women, children. That's what happened to the early church, our early brethren. Not only that, but it was also at a time where, you know, the emperor, the the Caesar, or the uh, uh, the emperor, the, the, the Caesar, What would happen is, you know, this happened especially under uh, uh, Nero and then also under Caligula. You know, they would have the they would kill Christians and put them on stakes and burn them, light them on fire, dip them in tar, burn them, light them on fire. And it would be like to light up their patios, to light up their, you know, their outdoor uh, ambiance. That's what they used to do to the early church. And what they used to do in the games you know, the Colosseum wasn't really, it wasn't built at this particular moment in time. It was just about to be built, but not yet. The building of, you know, when when uh, uh, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, they used the gold, they used the money from that. And then what they did is they built the Colosseum. Crazy. There's Orthodox Jews today who write letters to the Pope and they say, hey, give us back our, you know, the, you know, the, our elements for the temple. There's a huge movement in Israel. And they say, hey, give us back our stuff because, you know, it was taken into Rome. And a lot of people believe me personally. I also believe this, that it's in the, you know, the vaults that they have at the Vatican. You see, they're they're, in today. Today's, uh, you can see in their murals that they have. The Roman soldiers carrying the uh, menorah, carrying all these elements of the Jewish temple, carrying it away. And so they built the Colosseum where they used to kill Christians. And you hear the history books about Mount Vesuvius when it exploded and destroyed the town Pompeii. Me personally, I believe that was judgment. Judgment for what uh, what they did to Christians. That's me personally. I believe it was God's judgment on Rome, on Caesar. But it's so crazy because what they used to do, they'd take the Christians Take like a home fellowship, a small church that met in a home, you know, and it's very, very dangerous to be a Christian. The neighbor hears, the neighbor puts their ear to the door, ear to the wall, listens in, hears them singing songs, singing hymns to the Lord. The Lord, uh, the neighbors hear them, hear the people worshiping the Lord. They go and tell the officials, the people get arrested. And what they used to do in the, for, for games in Rome, they used to take the Christians strip them of their clothes so they would be completely naked and then they'd put them in the middle of the Colosseum. men women young old that's what they used to do they used to do certain other things to the females you know unspeakable things to the females in front of everybody unspeakable things and then at the same time, it's like, you know, they would take the men and, you know, guard them off and then do their unspeakable things with the women, even children, put them all together again. The whole time the crowd is watching, cheering. This was their entertainment. And then the guards would walk away, go behind their closed doors, and then they let the lions loose. Those were our early brothers and sisters. And so you think about that. You put that. And I don't want to paint a grim picture. You think about the persecution of the church in this moment. Now, listen to these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or apparel, or sword. That's why I get so bothered sometimes when people talk about the last days. And they say, you know, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow his His people to suffer? And you know, I want to be compassionate. So a lot of times I'm just like, yeah, I get what you're saying. But in my heart of hearts, I'm like, man, brother, sister, are you so daft? Are you so blind? Are you so ignorant? Suffering has been happening to the church for decades, for centuries, for millennia. Persecution, suffering has been happening to God's people, Israel, for millennia. And you know what the Bible teaches us that perilous times will come. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. The Antichrist is going to kill Jews and then the Lord's going to protect the Jews. And then the Antichrist is going to focus his attention on Christians. And then the Lord is going to protect the, the Lord is going to rapture the Christians. Look at verse 36 here, still in Romans 8. As it is written, For your sake, for the Lord's sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And this is what Paul says. This is the exhortation for the church in Rome under heavy, heavy, heavy persecution. And I'll say this too. It's also an exhortation to the church of the last days. Under heavy persecution, not so much in America. We're blind to these things. Our brothers and sisters are suffering today as we speak, as we gather here in, you know, via web it means. But it's happening. And Paul says, Yet, in all these things, let me put it to you another way inside of this situation when paul says all these things just look at verse 35 tribulation distress persecution famine nakedness peril or sword that's the condition that's that's the cup that the church in rome had to drink a very similar cup that the church of the last days is going to have to drink as well yet in all these things we are more than conquerors Through him who loved us. This is such, to the carnal, it's such a weird verse to put in here. More than conquerors, Paul? What are you talking about? How can we be a conqueror? When for the Lord's sake we are killed all day long, when we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul, what are you talking about? How How can you call us conquerors? Because you know what the easy route is? In a situation of heavy persecution, in a situation of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, you know what the easy route is? Suicide. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get my head chopped off, so I'm going to put a bullet in my head. I don't want to go to the Roman Colosseum, you know, so I'm going to stick a knife in my throat. That's the easy route. And that path is the path of destruction. I'm not advocating suicide in any way, shape, or form, as some pastors do. Fast track to heaven. Fools. But when Paul says you are more than conquerors, because we're conquerors of self. Conquerors of self. early brethren went through some crazy, crazy persecutions. Hardcore persecutions, things that I can't even speak of. But I read these things from the historians. Church historians, Jewish historians. And it's terrible the whole time I'm reading, finish one sentence. And in the heart of hearts crying out, no, Lord. No, how could this be? And Paul is saying, you know what? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, period. Through him who loved us. And this is what Paul says. I love these verses. You know, these verses bind them on your heart for the last days. Bind them on your heart. Lock them in your heart. For I am persuaded or convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Never forget these words. So, the state of the church today, we're separated. Not just our fellowship, but fellowships across the globe. Separated. But you know what? Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Intimacy with him. Intimacy with the Lord. And it's so cool because, you know, you see this one accord nature that we have with the lordship of Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ himself the high priest in the order of Melchizedek as we read in the in Hebrews but then at the same time you also see corporate unity apart yes together yes one yes And praise be unto the Lord because only He can do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what's so beautiful about what's happening in our study in Exodus 38 is because you have the people of God in one accord. Moses came down the mountain the first time and he finds the golden calf. The people were impatient. Not waiting for the Lord. Moses comes down the mountain the second time. No golden calf. The people had repented. And they were waiting. Okay. What did the Lord tell you, Moses? What did the Lord tell you, Moses? And you know, it's so powerful because... You have these passages here in verse thirty of chapter thirty-eight. Let's look at verse one. The construction is continuing. God's people together, one accord, working together, constructing the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle. It's not just okay. They're building something. It, uh, my soul struggles to to say it that way. I don't like saying it that way. Because remember, the tabernacle is a very special place where the Lord has is one with the people. He communes with the people. Oneness. The same intimacy that, you know, people always say, yo, the God of the Old Testament, He's so mean and vengeful. I don't read the Old Testament, I only read the New Testament because it's more palatable. But don't forget, God is still long-suffering. Old Testament and New Testament. God is still long-suffering. You know, it's very interesting because we studied that in chapter 34. Exodus 34. Verse 6. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see? Long-suffering. God is long-suffering. Even when these mockers of the last days, they say, Oh, yeah, God is too vengeful in the Old Testament. He's still long-suffering. You know, it's kind of like the, you know, there hasn't been any, like, you know, people haven't seen the wrath of God like you see. People haven't seen cities being destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah so they just figure oh okay it's not going to happen it's just fairy tale but you know what it's not fairy tale it's going to happen judgment is coming all these passages in the old testament but you know what paul writes to the church and he says hey you know what guys this is for your admonition this is for your warning don't be like that this sin that you see that Israel gets involved with, don't do that. It's for a warning. And sometimes you read the Old Testament. And it's like, wow, you're such so full of good comfort. Wow, praise your name, Lord, because you comfort me in your words. The Old Testament, I'm so comforted. And then you turn the page and it's like, whoa, Lord, I don't want to do that. Or maybe, whoa, Lord, I did do that. And then what do you do? You repent, you fall to your knees, and you say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, because you know what? I blew it. It's one thing if you don't know. You know, it's another thing if you do know. And you still do it anyways. Not good. So the construction continues. Look at verse 1 here of chapter 38. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood five cubits was its length and five cubits its width it was square and its height was three cubits he made its horn on its four corners the horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with bronze he made all the utensils for the for the altar the pans the shovels the basins the forks and the fire pans all the utensils he made of bronze and he made a grate of bronze a bronze network for the altar Under its rim, midway from the bottom, he cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards. These are, not you know, what's so powerful here. Remember the Lord gave uh, Moses uh, blueprints. What uh, uh, How to construct things. But then at the same time, when Moses was on the top of the mountain, the first time, the first time, he's on the mountain receiving the blueprints. And the chapter, you know, chapter 32 is when he comes down the mountain and sees the golden calf. But the very prior chapter, chapter 31. The Lord is telling Moses in verse two. He says, "I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him. I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship." And then he says to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels and in setting and carving wood, for setting and carving wood, and to work all manner of workmanships, workmanship. Workmanship. And I indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. And then he lists in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, all the things, the tabernacle, the ark, the mercy seat, the furniture, the table, utensils, lampstand, utensils, altar uh, of incense, altar of burnt offerings, utensils, labor, space, garments, holy garments, garments, and uh, 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 for the sons of Aaron and then the anointing oil and incense in verse 11 he says according to all that I have commanded you they shall do and then you know look at what happens here that's not to say that you know you know all these time that this time that the Lord is giving Moses the blueprints he knows what's gonna happen he knows about the golden calf. Think about the relationship that God and Moses must have had. For the Lord to tell Moses, hey, Moses, you know what? I'm going to destroy everybody and I'm going to start fresh with you. Think about the heart of Moses. You know, intimacy with God. It's impossible to be the the, the carnal nature. Intimacy with God is like your heart changes. Your heart is different than what it used to be. And that's what's so beautiful about being born again and having a close love relationship with Jesus Christ. And intimacy with Him. Your heart changes. Moses didn't say, you know, when the Lord was like, Moses, you know, I'm going to kill these people. I'm going to start fresh with you. Moses was like, you know, rubbing his hands like, all right, this is awesome. I want to be the ruler. I'm going to start fresh. No, you don't see that. The heart of Moses was not carnal. The heart of Moses was aligned to the heart of God. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the long suffering of God, and what does He do? He intercedes. That's why we say Moses is a type of Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ said, "I and my Father are one." We're one. And it's like, well, you start to see, well, grace and mercy and God's love. Biblically speaking, that's not to say, you know, oh, yeah, let's be gracious and, you know, do these, you know, transsexual uh, uh, marriages, you know, transgender marriages, marriage ceremonies. No, it's to say, hey, you know what? I understand you're in sin. Whatever sin it is, you know what? Come out of that lifestyle. God loves you. God desires a relationship with you. You don't know how to have a relationship with the Lord. You know what? Come walk with me. Hold on to my hand. Let's go on a journey together. And the whole time they're walking along with you. Learning and learning and learning. And in the course of time. Oh, by the way, you lean in on them. By the way. We're not stopping until we get to Zion. I forgot to tell you that five years ago. I forgot to tell you that 20 years ago. I forgot to tell you last week. We're not stopping. You see how beautiful this is? This construction of the tabernacle, you know, and I'm not elevating the tabernacle. I'm elevating the fact that it's a shadow of the things to come. The tabernacle of Jesus Christ. Who communes with us. Who desires oneness with us. Who is the high priest. The real high priest. In the order of Melchizedek. So the construction resumes. In uh, Exodus 38. Verse 7. He says then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar. With which to bear it he made the altar hollow with boards he made the labor of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors it translates as like a looking glass from the bronze mirrors of the serving women it's so cool here these serving women because it says who assembled on the who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting so you would have like everybody's doing their construction you know Everybody's working, but then at the same time you have like, you know, it's like uh, 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 Wherever there's need they have these you know, these these women that are serving there You know hey, we need more bronze. I'm you know, I'm running out of bronze over here. So you'd have like a little runner You know the woman go get some bronze, you know, people are banging away at the bronze, you know making it making it all nice and shaping it and forming it different sizes And somebody cries out, hey, I'm running out of bronze over here. I need a piece that's, you know, maybe about the size of yay size. The lady sees the guy. Okay, I'm going to go and get some bronze. Brings it to the guy. Construction continues. One body with many parts. An Old Testament example of one body with many parts. Working together. I mean, look at a car. You hear me mention that quite a bit. You know, you look at a car. Look at all the components inside of a car. You know, not the, not the inside, not the interior. Interior is one thing. I mean, you got your radio, you got, you know, it's, I'm talking about the mechanics of a car. Open up the hood and look at the mechanics of a car. It's like, wow, you know, all these different components, but yet they all work together for motion, forward motion. Different speeds. And it's like, whoa, it's like that's the church. One body with many parts. And of a specific brand, the brand called Jesus Christ. That's the the specific brand. It's not to say, okay, we open the hood and, you know, I'm going to put an alternator in there that's from Buddha. You know, I'm going to put a voltage regulator that's the Virgin Mary. No specifically, very, very specifically in alignment with the word of God by his instructions and the blueprints that he gives you and me. People would try. People will say, oh, yeah, put a little Buddha in here. Put a little Virgin Mary in here. You know, put a little uh, uh, Muhammad in here. Mix it all together. What do you get? Garbage. The Lord doesn't like mixtures. Remember that. He doesn't like mixtures, separate parts, separate parts working together, you know, different ministries, pastors, teachers, evangelists, elders, deacons, you know, women's ministries, women's teachers, youth ministers. All these things working together, you say, wow, you know, the Lord hasn't called me into ministry. Well, you're already in ministry. When you're a Christian, you're already in ministry. It might not be the formal ministry as in church government type of thing. But then at the same time, you start to say, what do you mean I have a ministry? Well, are you sharing? Are you the light at work? You go to work and people hate you. I mean, if they hate you because you don't want to go drinking with them, that's one thing. But, you know, it's like, well, do they know you're a Christian? You no, know, that's what it means. We can be the salt, be the light. And I'm not saying, you know, go and, you know, start, you know, you got to work. I mean, you're working, you know, you got to work as unto the Lord. But then at the same time, it's to say, man, you know, make sure it's as unto the Lord. And he will bless you. And so you see this construction, it's happening, it's so beautiful. In terms, you know, not necessarily beautiful in terms of Exodus 38, you know, kind of like by the letter of the law. I mean, Exodus 38 in the spirit and saying like, wow, it's like one body working together with many parts. Power by, you know, the the, the power is the Lord. The Holy Spirit is like our source of power. Just like, you know, the uh, the 10 virgins, they ran out of oil, five ran out of oil. It's like having a flashlight with no batteries. You see a flashlight when the light starts to get dim and dim and dim, you realize, wow, I need new batteries. You get new batteries in there, and it's like, wow, this is brighter than anything. Because you have fresh batteries in there. But what about batteries that never go dim? That's what I mean when I say the power of the Holy Spirit. So these women, you know, they would assemble at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And somebody would say, "Hey, you know, uh, I need some bronze over here. I'm running out of silver. Somebody go get it. Bring it back. In verse 9, then he made the court. On the south side, the hangings of the court were were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long with 20 pillars and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And on the west side, there were hangings of 50 cubits with ten pillars on and their ten sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings were 50 cubits. So you see what's happening here? Verse 9, the south side. Verse 11, the north side. Verse 12, the west side. And verse 13, the east side. And it's so powerful how the Lord gave specific instructions to Moses. We're going to see this more in the, when we get into the book of Numbers. You know, but what the Lord gave specific instructions The how you have all these sides, the long sides were the north and the uh, 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 south. Those were the long sides. Think of like a rect- rectangle, uh, rectangle. The long sides were the north and the south and the short sides were the west and the east. The west and the east. And the entrance is always on the east. That's where the entrance is, on the east. You know, this is the tabernacle, but when the... The actual temple is built in Jerusalem in both temples, Solomon's Temple and Herod's Temple, because the the, the, the temple, think of like the temple or the, the city gate, think of it like a, a medium-sized neighborhood. And so you have a medium-sized neighborhood, and think of that as like the the border of the old city, Jerusalem. And then within this medium sized neighborhood, you have, say, a block the size of a neighborhood block and which is within that city that those gates uh, within those borders and think of like a neighbor, like a a block, like a neighborhood block. And that would be the actual like temple mount where the, the actual temple, the 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 outskirts of the the temple is and within that that's where you have the the outer courts and that's where you have the holy place and then the holy of holies that's in the uh, Solomon's temple and Herod's temple but you know this the the the, the border of Jerusalem the border of like this the, the of the old city it still has the gates today you know it's the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD but the gates are still there it's very interesting in terms, you know, prophetically speaking, because, you know, in, in like the the uh, um, the gate in, in the tabernacle and then the gate in the Solomon's temple, the gate in Herod's temple, the gate even in the third temple, it, the gates are still there. It's the temple that's, you know, no longer there. But the gates like the borders of the uh, of the old city, they're still there. And it still faces east. It faces east. And then at the same time, you come out of that gate, and what do you see? The Kidron Valley. You come up from the Kidron Valley, and what do you see? The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. The East Gate is also called the Mercy or uh, the, the Gate of Mercy. It's also called the Golden Gate or the Beautiful Gate. And you have the prophecy of Jesus Christ returning which is a sure thing it's going to happen. And he comes to the East Gate. Very interesting because something that happened historically in 1541 AD, there was an Ottoman uh, uh, um, uh, sultan by the name of Suleimani, And what he did is he knew the prophecy about this Messiah of the Jews. So what he did, he took that gate and he sealed it 16 feet deep. He put a bunch of stones there. Or he didn't do it, but he had his people do it. He covered it. He knew the prophecy. He says, you know what? I don't want the Messiah to come. So he sealed it. But then what he also did is he put a cemetery in front of it. And he doesn't want to, quote unquote, defile the cemetery. All in Preventing this Messiah to return and come through the eastern gate. Remember? You know, there's a song, you know, we will see him. My my voice is shot. But, you know, there's the song. We will see him in the eastern sky. My tune is off. But, you know, there's a song. We'll see him in the eastern sky. And that comes from Matthew 24. Where, you know, lightning comes from the east. You know, as the Son of Man will return. As lightning does from the east. In Zechariah 14, Jesus Christ will stand on the Mount of Olives again. You read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, and you see the people, the, the Jewish people, the fullness of the Gentiles that already ha- has already happened in, in this prophecy from Zechariah 14, 12, 13, and 14. But when Jesus Christ returns and stands on the Mount of Olives, they're going to look at him, and they're going to say, what are these wounds that are in your hands? And Jesus Christ is going to say, it, it was here where I was wounded in the, house of my, in the hands of my friends. And they're gonna realize he was the Messiah. And they're gonna weep and mourn. And the Lord will comfort them. You know, there's also a prophecy in Ezekiel 43 how God's glory is gonna return through the East Gate. Specifically, it says the gate in the East. I say it that way because it's I have a little theory. It could be that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and then he's going to enter the city gates and he, that, that thick wall, how it's sealed, the 16 feet deep wall that was sealed by Suleimani in 1541, it could be that he just blows right through it. It could be. But there's another little gate in the east. There's two gates in the east. One is the one that was sealed. The other gate in the east Is called the Lion's Gate. The Lion's Gate. It's also called Stephen's Gate. It's also called Stephen's Gate because, you know, that's where he was killed. eh? That's where he was martyred. And Paul was right there. Before his name change, he was Saul. And he was consenting to Stephen's death. And so there's the main gate, which is the East Gate, which, you know, uh, uh, the Sultan Suleimani had sealed. Put a cemetery in the front of it. To prevent the Messiah from returning. He thinks, wow, you know, the God of the Jews, you know, I, I want to come against the Jews so bad and I'm going to prevent their Messiah from coming. And it could be that when Jesus Christ comes back, he just blows through those walls, blows through the Eastern Gate, the one that, you know, the, the what Suleimani put there. Or, me personally, I have a hunch he's not going to do that. I have a hunch that he's just going to go right through the other gates that are in the East. The Lion's Gate. Remember, he's coming. He came the first time as the Lamb. He's coming the second time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Stephen's Gate. Remember Stephen when he was killed? And he says, look, I see the Son of Man. I see Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. So all these things that we're studying, you know, this construction of the tabernacle. Remember, it's not just a shadow of the things to come, you know, pointing of Jesus Christ. It's quite literally a shadow of the things to come. And I'm speaking about the second coming of Christ, the return of the Messiah, the return of our Lord. All these prophecies that speak to these. So you have the, you know, the, uh, uh, in verse nine, the south side, in verse 11, the north side, which were the, the longest sides. And then verse 12 and 13, you have the west side and the east side, which are the shortest side, and the, the, the door is on the east side. The entry to the, tab- to the to the tabernacle. Very powerful. And, you know, keep that in mind because these are things, as we progress in the last days, I mean, you know, we're going to start to see things happen and we can remember these things and reflect back and be like, okay, that's what he meant. That's what's so cool about the Bible, specifically for the church in the last days. Because things are going to become more clear. Like 20 years ago, it was kind of muddy. 10 years ago, it was still kind of muddy. Five years ago, it's like less muddy. Today, less muddy. And tomorrow, less muddy. And for the actual last days generation, it's like, wow, we see loud and clear. We see perfectly perfectly wow this is what the Biden. you know you read the prophecy of uh, of uh daniel daniel 11 12 actually uh, i'll point to it exactly and then, i want to say 11 it might be 12 but i think it's 11 daniel 11 verse 32 right in the middle But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. That's a a big part of verse 32 of Daniel 11. The people who know their God shall be strong, not weak, not weak, and carry out great exploits, meaning the good news will go forth even when the Antichrist is killing like crazy. You know, the world's going to love them. Because, oh yeah, those Jews, they're so bad. You know, kill them. You know, they they cause all the problems in the world. Talk to a leftist. Talk to a Democrat. A liberal. They're, you know, pro-Palestine. They call the, the Israel uh, an apartheid state. You know, and all this liberalism. People are crazy. Liberalism is a mental disorder. Never forget that. It's a mental disorder people say oh yeah I'm a liberal I'm a Democrat I'm a socialist Democrat it's like uh, it's a mental disorder killing babies crazy mental disorder and so it says here the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits and those of the people who understand shall instruct many shall instruct many is the teachers of the last days all these people who can't see clearly they understand maybe they themselves have been under blind guides but then for the guides who have eyes to see they're going to be able to say oh yeah you know this is what's happening but there's still going to be death because it says here yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame By captivity and plundering. It's no joke. It's not going to be, you know. It's not going to be. I don't know. An easy ride. You know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, the Lord will give us strength. But it's so cool, these prophecies. I mean, we're straight up in Exodus 38. And like, look at all these things. Prophetically speaking, that we look forward to. Just at the construction. Of the tabernacle. It's a shadow of Solomon's temple, a shadow of Herod's temple, a shadow of the third temple. But what's going to happen in the temple? Prophetically speaking, on you a know, global scale, geopolitically, what's going to happen in Jerusalem? But in a meta- metaphysical sense, in a spiritual sense, what is happening inside of your heart in the real temple? what is happening inside of your heart jesus christ himself being the chief cornerstone so the construction continues exodus 38 verse 14 <clears throat> the hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets and the same for the other side of the court gate on this side and th- that that were and and uh, on this side and that were hangings of 15 cubits with three pillars and their three sockets and their hangings of the, uh, of the court all around were of fine woven linen. The sockets of the pillars were bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And the overlay of their capitals was, was silver. And all the pillars of the court had bands of silver. If you're wondering like, man, we're really flying through these verses. Well, remember, we studied these. We studied these verses already. When the Lord gave them to Moses. We studied them when when Moses was having his intimacy with the Lord his first time in the cloud on the top of the mountain. Joshua, his assistant, was right underneath the cloud, still on the mountain. And you start to see like, well, you know, we we looked at these blueprints and now Moses comes down from the mountain. And then, you know, there was the golden calf, of course. Terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Moses goes back up to the mountain, receives uh, tablets again, the two tablets, or the wording on the tablets. He went up with the tablets, and he comes back down, and you see a different people, repentant people. So we're not just flying through these verses because, you know, the blueprints went from God to Moses, from Moses to the people, and now they're being executed it's happening it's being built and so in verse 18 says the screen of the gate of the court was woven of blue purple and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen the length was 20 cubits and the height along its width was 5 cubits corresponding to the hangings of the court and there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze their hooks were silver and their and the overlay of their capitals and their bands was silver All the pegs of the tabernacle and of the court all around were bronze. This is the inventory of the tabernacle. You know, we always say like on communion Sundays, take inventory of your heart. Take inventory of your heart. You know, it's something that we do on communion Sundays. But at the same time, you see the the Old Testament uh, uh, application. All these items that we're talking about, about the hooks, you know, the different things, the the pegs. What about all those things inside of your temple? You take inventory of your heart. Make sure it aligns with the blueprints that you read. Genesis to Revelation, those blueprints. That's the blueprints I'm talking about. I'm in. What if there was somebody here that was like constructing something crazy? Constructing something that didn't align with the blueprints? You know, who would be the one to say, hey, it doesn't work that way. Don't do it like that. And I'm not suggesting that there, that there was somebody of that, but um, putting that in, in our terms, in, in, in terms of our tabernacles. Communion Sundays are a big deal where we take inventory. And it's like wow, you know, uh, I I read I read my Bible, and then you take inventory of your heart, and you just make sure is what's going on in my heart. It, it doesn't align with holy scripture. What's going on in my heart? Whether well, you know you might crave sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards. And then you read your Bible, and then you you take inventory of your heart, and you're like wow. This is in my heart. Does it align with scripture? Does it align with what I read in the Bible? And it's like, wow, you know, I read the Bible and I want my meth. I read my Bible and I want my crack. It's like, no, it doesn't align that way. It doesn't align. So you take whatever inventory you find that doesn't align with the word. You repent. you Get rid of it. Throw it away. Get rid of it. You see, that's how the Lord works. This is so beautiful about taking inventory of our hearts. Wow, does it is this of you, Lord? Does this honor you? Does this glorify you? These choices I've made, these things I think about, these things I dwell about. Am I bringing honor to your name? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Except the Lord. Very holy. In verse 21, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites. It's very interesting because, you know, when we're done with the book of Exodus, we're going to enter into the book of Leviticus. Leviticus and Deuteronomy are kind of similar. Think of Leviticus as like, um, I'll put it in New Covenant terms. Think of Leviticus as instructions for church leadership. And then you think of Deuteronomy as instructions for pew Christians. So uh, Leviticus for pulpit Christians and uh, Deuteronomy for pew Christians. You know, uh, elders, deacons, bishops, uh, ministry leaders, pastors, pastors. Uh, that would be like a Leviticus, not to say that it you know uh, a Pew Christian can 't read and study and be encouraged by Leviticus, but that 's how you have to look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like Leviticus is for like the leaders, and then Deuteronomy is like for the people, but you know intertwined in that we 're going to see other aspects where it 's like for everybody i mean it it already is for everybody, but start thinking, start gearing your mind in that. Direction, or Leviticus is more towards the leadership, and then you have Numbers, which you have a little, a little bit of beauty and a little bit of ugly in there. And I, I don't no disrespect to the Lord, but when I say ugly, is that's it's, it's where you see the entrance of uh, you know that begins the, the 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 forty years in the wilderness. How a two week journey, two weeks. I mean, you look at the map. You know, you do a map search, you know, and you do the, the the distance. And then you take that map search and then you look at the little legend. And you look at the mileage. It's like, wow, I didn't have to take that long. It could have been done in two weeks. But no, it took 40 years, the children of Israel, walking through the desert. Walking through the desert. And they had to learn that they were chastised by the Lord. Remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And the Lord disciplined them. So start start gearing your heart like that. Start gearing your mind like that. Because we're in these Old Testament passages. And I got to admit, you know, after Genesis, you know, a lot of times people kind of get confused with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But you don't have to be that way. As a As a student of the Bible, as a disciple, you don't have to be that way. You don't have to have that confusion where people get tossed to and fro by various doctrines. You don't have to get tossed to and fro. So, you know, you see the exodus, which is literally the exodus. (laughs) But then, you know, start start gearing your minds in that in that frame, that framework. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, because it's going to be a while before we hit Joshua, which is awesome. I can't wait to see. So, you know, the, the assistant of Moses you know moses is you know he comes to the end of his road and it begins the the road of joshua as leader i shouldn't say it begins the road of joshua the road of joshua has already begun but joshua as leader another type of christ type of yeshua joshua it's so beautiful i can't wait till we get there it'll be a while but I can't wait till we get there, but start gearing your minds towards that as we you know start to learn and understand these things from the Old Testament. Remember as a shadow of the things to come, always as a shadow of things to come, I'm not saying we go back to the law in any way, shape, or form, I never want to suggest that or even imply that I am, but understand what the what the spirit of the law is speaking, and so look at what happens here in in verse. Uh, twenty one that this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all the Lord made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So you see the passing, you know, godly things righteousness holy things the these they they pass them on to their kids huge 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 exhortation to parents passing on the lordship of jesus christ to the next generation preparing them for a future time when they can receive more holy things little ones you know raising being raised in the lord they receive holy things they might not even understand that they're holy But even still, you're still prepping them. And one day, I love the inquisitive mind of a little one. You know, what is this? What's that? What's this? What's that? It's like, well, let me tell you what this is. Hey, what's this? Let me tell you. What's that? Let me tell you. You come to church. Hey, what's this? Uh, Let me tell you. Come to church, read the Bible, study the Bible. They hear this. Oh, what's that? I've been waiting for you to ask, let me tell you. And then all of a sudden, something is brewing in their hearts. The Holy Spirit is stirring something so incredibly beautiful. And then boom, it's like, wow, their eyes open up. And it's, I need Jesus Christ in my life. You see, that's the next generation of righteousness. You see, you know, beautiful Bezalel doing all these things for the temple. And Aholiab, you know, the Lord put wisdom in them and gave them his spirit. But, you know, they were taught. They had parents, son of Uri, the son of Hur. Remember, Hur was one of the guys that was holding up Moses' arms when Joshua was fighting. Joshua was in the fight, literally in the fight. Moses, her, and Aaron, they were also in the fight. That's why sometimes, you know, people always think, "Wow, well, you know, you know, be with me in this fight. Be with me in this fight. You know, where are you? I need your help in this fight. It's like the best help you can get is prayer. Prayer. I know you're going through these hardships, but I'm praying for you. you tell them that. I know you're going through this, I know you're going through that. And you know, there's gonna be times where we get together and you know what, we can meet, we can talk, I'll hold your hand, I'll comfort you. But then at the same time, you know when we're not together, I'm praying like crazy for you. And then things start to happen in their lives. And they're like, wow, you know, this is so cool. You know, you're so awesome. And you say like, no, it's not me. You know, I'm garbage, it's the Lord. He's the one who's done it. You know, we always talk about being a prayer warrior, which is a beautiful thing to desire. But precursory to being a prayer warrior, it's, you can't play games with the Lord. That's, we kind of talked about that last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago, I forget. We kind of talked about that a little bit. You know, when people say, oh yeah, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. And you actually study the Bible. You actually open up the Bible and you start reading. And it's like, whoa, this church isn't like, you know, my church across the street. This church that I'm reading about in the book of Acts, it's completely different from the church, uh, you know, across, the, across town. I see news articles about the church across town. Now oh, they're perverted pastors, perverted elders. They do these things to little kids. You don't see that in the book of Acts. Bingo. You don't see that in the book of Acts. Why? Non-existent. The apostles, the disciples, they didn't play games. And what do you see? You see the Spirit moving. You see prayer being answered. You see miracles happening. But... Of the church today, people play games and they just dismiss it. Oh, that's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. So, you know, you hearken back to our study when Joshua was in the fight. He started losing the fight when Moses' arms went down. Moses' hands went up and he got so tired. I mean, have you ever been so tired you can't hold your hands up? That's how Moses was praying. And he got so tired his arms just started to fall. And when his arms fall, Joshua would start to lose the fight. Her and Aaron were there at his side. They were all in the fight. Moses praying in the fight. Her holding up one arm in the fight. Aaron holding up the other arm in the fight. And his hands would go up, Moses' hands, and the people, uh, Joshua would win the fight, make advancing, make advances. So don't be a prayer warrior. It's a beautiful thing to desire that, but then at the same time, don't play games with the Lord. You can't just say, yeah, I'm a prayer warrior. And then, you know, you're beating on your wife, cheating on your wife, doing your crack, doing your meth, doing your drugs, doing your alcohol, your sex. Can't It doesn't work that way. It's much better to get on your face and take a nap. But you know what? It's like, man, you know, if you're, uh, you know, into all your sex, drugs, alcohol, you say, Lord, forgive me. You repent. You change your ways. You obey him. And the Lord changes you. And then you cry out to his name. And then, boom, he'll answer. Immediately. Sometimes he'll tarry. Sometimes he'll wait to teach you a lesson. He does it with me. I know a lot of prayer warriors. He does it with them. Sometimes, you know, you pray and the Lord will give you an immediate answer. Sometimes you pray and you'll get your answer after five years. Sometimes you'll pray and you won't get your answer. It's like, man, 10 years, 20 years. 30 years. Talk to old people praying for their children, praying for their grandbabies. And it's like, you know, it's like, man, Lord, you've never answered me. An old lady, 85 years old on her deathbed. Man, I've been praying my whole life for this. It's not to say God isn't faithful. No way. Don't even think that he is faithful. All these things that part. You know, you remember, you know, like uh, in uh, Daniel, there's a, an angel that, you know, tried to get to Daniel, but he was fought. You know, in the, in the spirit realm, there was a, a battle. And Satan was like preventing him. And you see these things happen. I wonder if the Lord has sent an angel to you to tell you something. And I wonder if that angel is coming across you know, dark forces that's preventing him. I wonder. Biblically, it's happened before. Don't lose heart. You know, to keep praying. Keep praying. Be a prayer warrior. And so, look what happens here how God has passed on from one generation to the next. Bezalel was the son of Uri the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. Remember, these are colors of royalty. We talked about that a couple of weeks back, you know. Colors associated with royalty and holiness, and you were going to study that more. In verse 24, all the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is the gold of the offering was twenty-nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was one hundred talents and one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a becca for each man that is half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,550 men. start to see this uh, very specific accounting here. Very specific accounting. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast, the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, 100 sockets from the 100 talents, one talent for each socket. Then from 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made bands for them. The offering of bronze was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it, he made the sockets for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, And all the utensils for the altar, the sockets for the court all around, the bases for their court gate, all the pegs for their tabernacle, for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around, all around. You see these? So so in total, in, in today's terms, it's one and a quarter ton of gold and four and a quarter ton of silver and four tons of brass. Four tons of brass. In total, it's nine point five tons of metal. You know, various metals. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's you know, it's I, I did the little you know the the breakdown, it's nineteen thousand pounds. It kind of it, like equates to about six sedans, you know, weight wise it equates to six sedans. That's a lot. You know, some families could have carried a lot of gold. Some families might have had little gold. Some families might have had no gold. No material, no silver, no bronze. This is a huge deal because if you remember in Exodus chapter 3, there was a burning bush where the Lord spoke to Moses. He told Moses, Moses, Take off your sandals because the place where you stand is holy ground. You know what I love about Moses? He did it. He was obedient. He didn't say, oh man, this is crazy. Oh man, you know, uh, my parents, you know, oh my, uh, the teacher that I had in Egypt, he told me that this was for 2,000 years ago. So this is just crazy. I'm just going to ignore it. No, you know what? The, the Lord told him. Take off your sandals because where you're standing, it's holy ground. Moses removes his sandals. just one little act of obedience. And then the Lord told him something. He says, you know what? You're going to plunder Egypt. That's from chapter 3, verse 22. You shall plunder Egypt. Think about how wild that is. How dare I say even crazy that is. No disrespect to the Lord. But in our carnal minds, it's like, what plunder Egypt Egypt like the, the Pharaoh was God on Earth with a mighty army and Moses was all by himself nobody around just some sheep Jethro's flock And you start to see, wow, you know, Moses, when nobody's looking, he was obedient to the Lord. It's a piece of cake to be obedient when everybody's watching you. Because it's like, whoa, you know, I'm not going to do that because I want to appear like I'm holy. But who are you when nobody's watching? It speaks of Integrity integrity you know like nobody's watching i'm gonna take this you know bracelet and put it in my pocket nobody's watching i'm gonna take this 20 dollar bill i'm gonna put it in my pocket who are you and nobody's watching who are we when nobody's watching except the lord moses was all by himself just the the animals he hears the voice hey take off your sandals he sees the the burning bush remove your sandals moses because this is holy ground and he does it one little simple act of obedience and then the acts of obedience become deeper and deeper and deeper moses matures in christ moses matures in greater things. He moves forward to greater things. And the Lord tells him in chapter 3 verse 22. You shall plunder Egypt. How crazy that concept is. It would be the equivalent. Say we get. Say Canada is a strong. Has a strong army. You know a strong military. And they're like the world leaders. Like these stuff. And you're just minding on your own business. You know, you're, you come out of Canada, you know, and then you're just walking around with some animals. And then you hear a voice. And in obedience, you remove your shoes. And then the Lord tells you, you're going to plunder Egypt. You're going to plunder Canada. <laughs> you know how wild that is? What? You're just one person. And then you fast forward to Exodus chapter twelve, verse thirty-six. You know what happened? Egypt was plundered. Remember, they were so all these plagues were befalling Egypt, and they were like, you know what, you Jews, you Israeli people, you're God's people. Get out of here! Look, I'm gonna give you all my gold. Just get out of here. My crop is gone. You know, I got all these frogs all over the place. The water's been turned to blood. You know, my firstborn is dead. You guys, you get out of here. Take all my gold, take all my silver, take all my bronze, and get out of here. And you read chapter 12, verse 36, thus they plundered Egypt. God fulfilled his promise that he told Moses when he was all by himself. And God still fulfills his promises. When you have your intimacy with him, God fulfills his promises. In chapter 31, when the Lord is telling Moses, oh yeah, uh, by the way, Bezalel, he's going to help you. Aholiab, he's going to help you. What do we have here in verse 36? Bezalel is helping him. Aholiab is helping him. God's promises are being fulfilled. So all this, you know, 9.5 ton of metals, gold, silver, and bronze. Like, where do they get this? They're in the wilderness. They're, They're like, they left Egypt. They're out in the desert. Where did they get this? Or it's the plunder of Egypt. Plunder of Egypt. Now it's in the use of God for God's glory, for God's glory. You know, this concept of plundering, you see that in, you know, with, uh, Uh, um, Joseph in the book of Acts, also known as Barnabas, son of encouragement. Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy guy with his properties. He's like, what's this? Church has a need. Okay, I'm going to sell my property and give 100% and lay it at the disciple, lay it at the apostles' feet and say, here, I know there's a church need. Here it is, all the proceeds. Take it. It's the plunder of the world now being put in the service of the Lord. Same exact thing. For God's glory. For his kingdom. You see how he works? So beautiful how he works. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're going to end our study here. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I noticed verse 1 of chapter 39. And you know, a beautiful, beautiful tiny little angel. Through the course of modern technology, I caught wind that she said something today by, uh, uh, regarding the color purple. And look what it says here in chapter 39, verse 1 of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry. I love this so much. You see how the Lord blesses our socks off? Out of the mouth of babes out of the mouths of babes you see the little ones speak and it's like wow what an encouragement it is it's so cool how the lord works you know i know that we've been separated for a while and yeah it stinks it really kind of you know it it's it, uh i don't like it you know to be honest with you guys i don't i don't like it at all because i don't like the separation of the saints you know why because satan and also because of us, because of the nature, you know, you see, like if we were in the military, so I was a corporal and you guys were my, you know, in my in my uh, squad. And, you know, it's like, OK, everybody's going to go out on leave now. It's Christmas time. People are going to go out on leave. OK, you know, we've got to keep a small group but of the people that go on leave. Go ahead and go on leave. And then a month passes, two weeks pass. They come back and they're they've been fat and happy at home. You know, it's like, man, you you come back and it's like everybody's, everybody's thick, everybody's chunky. You know, and it's like, okay, we got to get you back into shape. You were, you were undisciplined while you were back at home. You know, I'm not not saying that that's what's, but that's the threat of that happening. Because the Satan, he's very crafty and cunning. He's having a heyday with the church right now because the Christians are separated. They're no longer unified as a church body, and like physically, they're no longer unified. So what is he doing? He's going out and isolating people, isolating families, isolating husbands, wives, kids, all this separation. He's having a heyday and he's effective. He's been effective for, you know, since the beginning. And the events of the last days are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. We, we have, this is nothing. This is nothing. What we're going through now, this is absolutely nothing. But we'll close in this, and it, you know, harkens to what we already studied in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's Exodus 8, verse 35. Who? Paul says who, and then he starts to mention things. And I love it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And then he says, you know what? In verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers... Nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able, shall be able. Nothing. No one, no thing, no event, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God knows his sheep, he protects his sheep. Be of good cheer. We love you guys. We miss you guys. And fight the good fight. God bless you.